Hello and welcome to the Leaders' Council podcast, the podcast for the people who run the country and the people who keep the country running. You join us here today in a very deserted city of Westminster as once again we put the topic of leadership under the spotlight. I'm Scott Challoner and today I'm joined by Mark Bennett. Mark is an award-winning master baker and the owner of his own artisan bakery brand, Patisserie Mark Bennett. Mark, welcome to the programme. Great to have you on the air with us today. Thank you very much. It's, it's fantastic having you, Mark. Now, um, I'm right in saying, um, aren't I, that you worked um, for around about 29, 30 years as a third generation master baker for the family business before going into launch your own brand, of course, um, in 2012. Um, did you imagine That's quite correct. early on in your career um, as a result of that, that you would eventually end up kind of taking the plunge and launching your own business, which would then go on to become a success? Um, I always had a, a probably, in the back of my mind, I always thought one day I'd go out on my own. Um, and it was a, probably um, a series of events that led me to, to, to take the plunge eventually one day. Um, and uh, we haven't really looked back. It's been a, it's been a huge success. The company um, just goes from strength to strength, really. Um, got a great team of people behind me, though, I must say. Without those, um, just wouldn't be possible. So, um, no, it's been, it's, been a, it's been sort of, we've been going now eight years, so it's been a great, a great eight years. It certainly has. Um, there's been plenty of awards won in that time as well. Um, but what would you describe your own personal leadership style as being like um, working with that team and getting the best out of them? Um, I, I sort of grew up as a, as a leader, um, cricket captain, and football captain, and things like that at an early age. So I think I had sort of good grounding uh, right back then, really, even though I probably didn't realise at the time. Um, it gives you good social skills being... Um, like captains of teams, um, and I think basically I've taken that into my um, my, my work life. Uh, I like to think that I'm uh, reasonably I'm reasonably firm but fair, um, which I think is important, um, especially through you know the, the crisis we're going through at the moment. Um, mm. I think you need a strong leader, um, which is which is important. Um, yeah, uh, I like you know, obviously I, I I think Barrett is a strong leader. Um, I wish him all the best. Speedy recovery, um, but people, you know, you, you've just got to be strong because um, people get frightened at this this, this kind of um, you know what's going on at the moment. So yeah, it, good leadership skills are very important now. Absolutely, and um, I'm, I'm sure, of course, you've um, had that in your mind that you need to be very people conscious and very aware of what's going on when personally dealing with this crisis um, as well. Because managing a team of people through that. It is difficult, isn't it? It throws up an awful lot of challenges. It does indeed, yeah. Um, you know, but foremost, I've got to keep my, my staff um, safe and also my customers, which is, is paramount to us. Um, but also, I'm a strong believer. I want to keep my company going. Um, we, we had a bit of, when, we, when it was announced that we were going into lockdown, we put on social media that we were going to still operate. Um, and we got a, got a sort of a mixed reaction. Um, Sort of the hardcore customers were really happy about it, and then you've got a sort of certain amount of people that sort of found you irresponsible and had all their views on on social media. It's very upsetting uh, for me personally, uh, as a master baker. You know, I have the right to make my bread and sell it to the public. Um, it's, you know, we, we we keep you know, as I said, you know, foremost in our mind is the safety of our customer and and our staff. Um, so, you know, we, we take all the precautions we do in a supermarket, if not more, probably. Um, so, yeah, it upset me. Um, 
to, to, to feel people were, were, were like that. But I suppose everyone's entitled to their opinions. Um, but, but it was upsetting. But I, I can understand as well. You know, people, you know, obviously both frightened um, at, at this point in time. Um, but you know, as I said, that we, we go above and beyond to make sure everybody's safe, uh, which is important. Exactly. And um, you mentioned there, of course, criticism of leaders, criticism of certain decisions that leaders take. I mean, you've, of course, experienced it yourself through this crisis. The government has faced criticism from some quarters as well for the decisions that it's made. Um, Do you think that that sort of culture of criticism that we sort of have in this country actually stops people, like kind of wards them off from wanting to become leaders themselves because they're afraid of facing criticism and afraid of getting things wrong? Yes, definitely. Yeah, no, I do believe that. No, it's uh, it's you know in situations like this, it can, it can bring the best out of people and it can bring the worst out of some people as well. So I think strong leadership is so important now more, more than ever um, because I think a lot of people would, you know, some of the message that we received. My wife, you know, was in tears and um, you know myself. It, it made me more determined really to carry on um, because I I believe I have that right to. Um, and also, uh, you know, I, you know, I must mention I wouldn't do it without the staff. You know, if my staff didn't want to do it, obviously I wouldn't be doing it. But as I said, I've got my team, and they want to be there, and they want to be, you know, they feel they're doing a bit for the country. You know, helping to feed them. Supermarkets, you know, there's loads of queues outside, and people are struggling to get in. Whereas, you know, we can we can help that with um, still being open. You know, we're not the only one. There's butchers out there as well. I see, which is great to see that. Small independent in the craft sector coming back. Um, you know, you, you don't often see queues out of butchers and bakers anymore, um, which, which we're seeing now, which is lovely. Exactly. And uh, businesses um, are still being able to operate through this crisis. Some are facing a little bit of um, criticism for doing so because people might think there are perceived risks there. But it is important for business where it can to continue to operate because businesses are being prevented from performing their functions um, quite widely across the UK with government measures. Um, but there is also a raft of measures there to safeguard businesses at the same time as well. And it's important to remember that the government is doing what it can, isn't it? It's, um, but would you say that it's doing the right things, in your view? I, I, I think they are doing the right thing. It must be very difficult because um, even even the government, you know, they're learning about this, this, this disease, um, uh, every day, it's a new new disease, and um, they're probably as much in the dark about it as, as many people. So it must be very hard to to know which, which the right way to go is. Um, so I would say they're they're doing a pretty good job. I would say. That's a very interesting point that you make there about um, the right way to go, because you mentioned that word earlier, that L word, learning. Would you say, yeah. Mark, that it's possible to actually be a good leader without first getting things wrong, making mistakes and learning from them? Yes. Yes, that's important, isn't it? I think uh, I think we'd all be, be, you know, leaders would be lying if they said they didn't make those mistakes um, along their, 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 sort of, um, their time as a leader. I think we all make those mistakes, and yes, it's important probably to make those mistakes to to make sure perhaps you you learn from that and you go forward and become stronger for it. And certainly for the next generation of emerging leaders, it's something that we should be encouraging them to bear in mind, isn't it? The fact that you shouldn't be afraid of making mistakes because it's all about how you make mistakes, you learn from those mistakes, and it's an important part of your development to become a good leader, isn't it? Yeah, yeah, definitely. Now, if you... 
as I said, you will make those mistakes um, and you will learn from them, but don't sort of get twitchy about it and think, oh, crap, this isn't for me, um, because those mistakes will yeah, they, they make you a better person and a better leader for making those mistakes. Mm, for sure. Um, if you could actually, um, a bit more of an abstract question this, Mark, but if you could speak to yourself maybe sort of 10, 15, 20 years ago, what would you tell the younger you to embrace in terms of leadership qualities? Um, but yeah, don't give in. Just, um, don't, you know, some people do give in. Don't give in. Keep keep persevering. Um, make those mistakes and learn um, from them. But yeah, persevere with it, you know. Um, I think a lot of people will give up early on because of the, the, the probably some of the things they get, but keep going, persevere. That's my uh, advice. I think perseverance is hugely important, isn't it? Not just for the next generation, but also for business leaders in the here and now, because, of course, there will be opportunities to seize upon with this whole COVID-19 crisis, as it were, but there will be challenges as well, and it's important not to lose sight of the fact that there is light at the end of the tunnel. That's right, definitely, yeah. Definitely, Mark. Um, it's really, really sound advice, I have to say. Um, I'm conscious of uh, running out of time today, but before we do wrap things up on the programme, um, do tell me what you imagine the next year will hold for yourself and for uh, patisserie Mark Bennett, and also what you hope to achieve in that time, particularly coming out of the other side of COVID-19 as well. Um, well, hopefully I would have protected my staff, protected my customers, um, in continuing to run the business. And I think, well, I'm hoping that my business will be stronger for carrying on and not closing the door. Um, you know, I think there's going to be obviously a lot of debt the country's going to be in um, when we come through the other side of this. So um, I want my company to be as strong as possible um, to, to cope with probably rising rising taxes, etc. So that, I think that's where we're going to be going. And um, let's hope if everything turns out um, as good as it should be and we do see an upward trajectory as an economy as a whole sooner rather than later as well. Um, I have to say, Mark, it's been a really insightful and also an absolute pleasure having you on the programme today. And um, well, Thank you very much. I think it would also be wonderful to perhaps have you back on in a few months' time just to look at this um, retrospectively and really see how those hopes have been uh, borne out over the next year. Um, thank you so yeah, much for taking the time. It's been wonderful. I've really enjoyed it. Um, thank you very much. Wonderful. Um, coming up next on the programme, I'll be handing over to Jonathan White for his exclusive interview with England's 1966 Football World Cup hero, Sir Jeff Hurst. As well as scoring over 200 league goals for the likes of West Ham United and Stoke City, Sir Jeff to this day remains the only man to have scored a hat-trick in the final of a World Cup after his treble in England's 4-2 win over West Germany at the Old Wembley 54 long years ago. I hope you enjoy listening just as much as Jonathan enjoyed speaking to Sir Jeff and that's coming up next. We're now joined, uh, though, by former England footballer and still the only man to score a hat-trick in a World Cup final, Sir Jeff Hurst. Uh, thank you very much for coming on today. Uh, You're welcome. You're welcome. Good afternoon. Uh, and perhaps I should uh, start and get it over and done with. I know you must be bored with it and uh, you've probably been asked a thousand times. But when you got out for a duck playing for Essex, uh, Jeff, what was going through your head at the time? <laughs> well, of course, that's not one of the most asked questions I get. Oh, there, there are one or two people who are very familiar um, uh, who do Google me realise that I did uh, score nothing for Essex. Uh, for my only game for Essex first team when we played against Lancashire in Liverpool, a place called uh, uh, Egbert in, in, uh, in Liverpool, many, many years ago. 1962, I think that was. 
So I didn't, and, um, yes, I, I didn't really feel it at the time. It was lucky to be playing, I guess, one or two injuries. Um, but the problem that I had was, was really messing about between the two sports. That was very detrimental to me uh, over that period of time, mm. being stuck between the two sports. And I think uh, for those that uh, don't know, there's a there's a, another world that might exist where um, Sir Jeff Hurst was a, a first-class cricketer and not perhaps a, a footballer. But um, whether it's business or cricket or, or football, obviously the importance of leadership, it can't be understated, no matter what form that comes in. When you were at West Ham, uh, Jeff, and when um, Ron Greenwood first uh, uh, came along, he made obviously some pretty radical changes was this a man that genuinely inspired confidence uh, the first time you'd meet him? Absolutely. I mean, he, he was simply a, a fantastic uh, coach or teacher, if you like, at football. And uh, the, the quite always mentioned when we talk about Ron Greenwood, Harry Redknapp, who was played under him and has been very successful as a player and, and a manager over many, many, many years. He um, He's come across many coaches, of course, and managers during his time over years, I guess he would still say that Ron Greenwood is the best coach he had worked with. He'd worked with. So you're very fortunate. I think you just think you're lucky when you come across if you have a great teacher at school and a great coach as we had in Ron Greenwood and, of course, a great manager in South Ramsey. So to come across people like that, that calibre, can have a huge influence on your your career, of course, and, and then your life. And that's, that's quite purely the case. Absolutely. And in those early days um, at West Ham, uh, with, with a manager like, like uh, Ron uh, there, it's also important to have uh, uh, confidence with your other players. And of course, they become your friends. Who did you look at to at the time uh, when to inspire confidence in yourself? Was it more? Was it Peter's? I think probably, well, I was very fortunate to play with the talent of the players I did. Again, again, extremely fortunate to play with you know, the captain um, of England and West Ham and Martin Peters, who was a fantastic player. And some, as far as Martin's concerned, I think sometimes he didn't quite get the uh, recognition he deserved. And what a wonderful player he was. In terms of inspiring confidence, I always probably say that the biggest influence uh, for me, I guess, would be the captain, Bob Moore. Although he was only... Uh, about eight months older than me, he graduated through the system probably three or four years earlier. He played for England in 62, four years before the final when I played. And so he, he was more, looked upon him more as a senior player, if you like, not as a, a guy with the same age group as me. And I looked at how he how he uh, trained, how he acted, how he behaved, and how he played. And so he, he would say, I would also say he was a big influence on me. One thing I would say about leadership, uh, what I do, I do understand clearly in all walks of life, leadership is at the top, is absolutely vital for a, a, for a business, a football team, in any walk of life to be successful. And it's quite evident, I was in the motor trade for a long time as well, selling car warranties to car dealerships, and you could almost tell when you walked into the business, uh, in a, many of the car dealerships, you could almost tell from the moment you walked in by initial reaction people came and welcomed you that the business was well run or conversely not well run at all. And so I understand the, the value and quality of leadership and that's why I'm very fortunate to 
be involved in my career in those early days were two two great leaders in, in Ron Greenwood and, and Al Ramsey. Absolutely. And um, since you've already uh, brought him up, uh, Jeff, I think it'd be remiss not to go a little bit further with that. But obviously, uh, after uh, at West Ham, your uh, playing came to the attention of uh, South Ramsey. Now, there's a man, I'm sure, when you walked into a room, you knew who was um, in charge. When it came to managing that England team, what was his style like, Jeff? Well, one thing, especially in South Ramsey, he's probably over my life the most powerful influence who had on me um, as a person. Um, up naturally, it happens to an extent because he's got your whole career in his hand, whether he picks you for England or he doesn't pick you. It can have a, a great impact on your, <laughs> your career and of course your life. But yep. in that era, I was involved for six or seven years. He, it was quite clear who was the boss. He was quite very, very strict. Probably at a time at maybe overly strict by the time you probably wouldn't get necessarily get away with it in, in today's football because it's changed dramatically in how you deal with with players then and players now. But he was the most powerful man I came across and very few people and he, he was quite ruthless in getting people out who he didn't want to be who didn't want to be part of a group, part of a team. It is important that if you've got a group of people and that's in any walk of life, they're all singing off the same hymn for you and you don't have anybody that's griping or moaning about the system. And if you've got people like that in the organisation, one thing I have learned and I've taken on in my life, my family, you've got somebody in the group that doesn't want to be part of it, you, you get them out. And Alf, I think, was was quite ruthless with that in his, in his staff. And I think that's one thing I, one of the most serious ones I think I've learned over a long period of time. And is there, do you think... Uh a specific moment, I'm sure there's probably dozens, but is there a specific moment, if you could uh, perhaps pick right now that did show those uh, qualities in uh, South so uh, sharply? Yes, I think for, for me, certainly, um, I think there are instances of players who you thought would, would be in the team or certainly in the squad and surprising there were not. There was no necessary reason for it. But looking mm. back, I do think perhaps they were people that Alf didn't think wanted to be part of a group. Um, so that that's that's for me. In terms of my personal view, I think that it looked prior to the um, World Cup that I was going to be playing um, in it only a few games before. I was I was playing and I played with Jimmy Greaves in the game against Yugoslavia only a couple of months before the final. And it looked at that stage as if I was going to be be playing in, in the team but uh, in a couple of friendly games more friendly games before the final in Poland and uh, uh, Norway I think in Denmark mm. I didn't I played two of the four games and I probably didn't quite replicate my my form that I'd been showing at West Ham and in the early couple of games for England and he, he left me out in the first game of, of the World Cup against uh, Uruguay he started off with Jimmy Green and Roger Hunt. So I, I had an impact of thinking I at that stage I, like I was going to play and didn't start because of just a lack of form. I didn't play quite well enough to justify my position. And somewhat fortuitously, I only got back in the team because of a, a nasty gash to shin um, on Jimmy Glee's leg. And I think what you've said there, uh, Jeff, actually does sum that up really well. And more than that, whilst it's important to have that 
someone in charge with those qualities, it's almost useless if there isn't a strong and unified team behind them. And there really must have been moments, if maybe there weren't, but uh, let us know, in that 66 competition, the prolonged pressure on all of you, you know, the weight of a nation, did it get to you? Oh, not for me personally, no. I, I think, and I don't, uh, not for me, not for a second. I think mm. I was just happy to be, you know, be involved in the squad initially. Uh, not at all. I didn't, you're not aware of the magnitude of the occasion, really, looking back out now. Mm. So I never really felt people talk about pressure a lot and it's there and people, players talk about people talk about it in life. I didn't really feel necessarily feel any great pressure, pressure during the time I was there. And what is also important to say about Alf Ramsey, the people he, he left behind that, that were left in the squad after he moved one or two players out, the squad were uh, a, a bunch of very hard-nosed, professional, uh, top-quality people. And that was, again the leadership that I'll show he, he got people in together that were very, very strong personally. Um, uh, and I think that was part of the success we had. We were very, I always describe our, our group as hard-nosed professionals. Uh, we have some great players, but overall they were great hard-nosed professional players um, and great quality people who we've kept in contact with, you know, over the years. And Jeff, I've got to ask, and I'm, I'm not making this up, I've genuinely heard that people do ask you whether or not you realised there were people on the pitch at that moment. I imagine you were busy on something else. Well, I, I did some theatre shows last year. They've gone fairly well, and we're going to do a series of uh, theatre shows, in fact, starting this week, over the next uh, three months. And uh, at the end of the theatre shows, we have about 20 minutes where we uh, uh, allow the people in the audience to ask questions. And the, the, there's, I won't mention both. They're too long to talk about both questions. Um, one, The other one's a really stupid one. It's too long for me to tell you. It's absolutely ridiculous. <laughs> but the, the, the other ridiculous question I get asked, did I realise there were people on the pitch? And, of course, I jokingly say, yes, I was just about to, to shoot to score the goal. And I looked round, put my foot on the ball, and looked round for a little while, and said, "Oh dear, there are six or seven people running on the pitch." So that—I've uh, had been asked that once at one of the theatre shows. <laughs> so I joke, make a joke about that, and saying, "Yes, I put my foot on the ball and waited, but just had a, look, had a glance round, you know." Maybe it does prove there are things that, such as stupid questions, really. Um... Oh yeah, there are. There certainly are. I've got another one which I won't bore you with. It won't be too long to tell you. Uh, I was in a Jersey or Channel Line, Jersey or Jersey, two or three mm. years ago, and most stu- stupid, irrelevant questions, absolutely nothing to do with football whatsoever, which uh, was absolutely, but I can use that now because it, it is quite funny. <laughs> <laughs> well, maybe another time then, but we. Um, uh, well, you want me, I, I can tell you if you want, you want, you've got time, I can tell, I tell you if you want. Jeff, go on, go on. I think I'd be, it would be silly if I said no at this point. Okay, so I was uh, doing a. a at a dinner in, in the Channel Lines, three or four hundred people, black tie dinner, uh, guest of honour. Mm-hmm. And this occasion, I was speaking for about 20 minutes, then allowing uh, questions from the audience at the end of the evening. And there was usual football questions. And then all of a sudden, I heard a, somebody at the back who, who asked a question. I didn't quite hear what he said. He didn't have the microphone with him. So I said, I didn't hear what he said. Can you please give mm-hmm. this chap the microphone so I can hear clearly what he said? So the chap had the mic and he said, 
when a turtle loses its shell, is it naked or is it homeless? Right. <laughs> what, what a question. What a question. Uh, well, I think that would be in, definitely in the stupid category, wouldn't it? So we had a laugh about that. Uh, well, uh, and we... You've got to have a patient of a saint, I think, sometimes to put up with <laughs> well, things no, like that. Just, but then again, I found it amusing. I just found it amusing. In fact, some of the audience found it highly amusing as well. So it did, uh, um, it did make again, me laugh that if you can put up with my questions, you can probably put up with uh, anything. Um, <laughs> but th- there would have become a point, though, um, Jeff, I think, um, you were a young man when this happened, when you must have realised that people, teammates, began looking at you for leadership. Um, is that something that occurred to you, or did you just realise that by, by quick, one way or the other, people actually begin to look up for you for inspiration? Well, possibly. That's never really struck me until you've actually mentioned it now, quite frankly. That's a new, a new question. Mm. Does anybody look up to me? I'm sure perhaps uh, there are. There are people who pay you compliments of, of uh, fans of, of West Ham and, uh, and Stoke and, of course, in, uh, England fans who... Um, I, I think probably... Yeah, it would be very immodest of me to to suggest that I, I felt that somebody was looking to me for inspiration. Um, well, you, but, you don't but have to, but I will. No, um, well, it, it's, it's okay for a third party to do it. Uh, perhaps, um, perhaps that may have been the case over the years. Uh, people look at you, and um, uh, maybe uh, it has a, a helpful effect. Uh, but I do think you, you, how you behave and set examples on and off the pitch is people must realise that that's, that has an influence, how you react and behave mm. to, to situations on and off the field. Surely probably has an impact to younger players coming in into the team laterally. Um, yeah. And, and with that, looking at um, uh, football today, uh, is there anybody that you think particularly on the field or the sidelines that strikes you as someone with... Um, those qualities that you could identify in a in a natural leader. Um, well, a, a player, current players, you mean? Oh, players, managers, anybody that uh, you look to today, really? Well, I think some of the outstanding. I think the, the, the best example about a, a leader and at the moment is is, is uh, Klopp at Liverpool. Mm. He has been absolutely fantastic to uh, acquire the players and get them to. Their attitude is absolutely fantastic. They're great players, but there's more than just being good players in football. It's a good player with a fantastic attitude and their willingness to work for each other and the team is absolutely outstanding. Hence these unbelievable results. There are, you know, and the great players not always succeed as, as individuals or probably even uh, certainly as a team if you haven't got the right attitude alongside it. And they're probably, and that that comes through the leadership. That's not just luck. Absolutely, that's, that's absolutely leadership. He'd be the best example, of course, in, in football terms today. Uh, easily, easily. And of course, but going back not that long ago, Alex Ferguson is just absolutely. Mm. You've got to take him as the first example. But Klopp's only done this over a period of time, a short period of time. But if you look at the twenty-five, twenty-six, twenty-seven years that. Alex Ferguson did with Manchester United. 
and subsequently since he's gone, how they they are not doing so well. He's the best example of management I've seen. We've seen we've probably ever seen, and I don't think anybody will see the light of that kind of leadership again. It's ast- absolutely astonishing, astonishing. And do you think? Could you imagine uh, Sir Alf or even Ron Greenwood managing teams today? Yes, I think so. I think yes, no, mm. no question at all. I think they uh, Ron Greenwood. Yeah, well, the, the answer is straightforward. Answer is yes. Um, they, <laughs> the straightforward answer is yes. I can elaborate as much as you want, but the straight answer is absolutely categorically yes. Uh, and with um, I know uh, if we could talk about this probably for the next hour or so, but um, I'm conscious of the um, time. Um, looking um, back uh, through your um, playing career, perhaps especially um, your time uh, for England. Who was it uh, that struck you more than anyone else on the pitch uh, that displayed qualities of not just leadership but uh, companionship and and level headedness that you think that have stuck with you all these years later? Well, I think we were, I was very fortunate, and I wouldn't take any one player out. I think looking at so that, many. yeah, so many, and that's why we were successful because we had so many. Um, showing all those qualities that you just mentioned uh, throughout the team, I think that that was outstanding, and uh, uh, and it's an opportunity to talk about uh, all of them in, in that breath. And there was nobody. And I'm going back from an earlier earlier question for me that um, all hard nosed professionals, good good teammates, mm. good socially, and that's why we kept in touch with each other on our golf days. Every year, uh, up until about five years ago, of course, with, with the uh, sadly dwindling yes. numbers, we we still got on. Our wives got on with, all together. All those years later, it didn't just finish after '66. That reunion, that camaraderie, that team spirit, mm. um, getting on with each other, lasted for, for a long, long, long time. And I wouldn't and- when it, when you put those those questions and how you categorise those. I would pick every one of the 11 players um, who you put in that category that were like that. There was nobody else. They were all outstanding. And I think that was a big part. I can't stress how big a part that was. And I've said that many, many times for the success of the team. We had some great players. We had some great players, of course. But without the attitude alongside that, going back to an earlier question, we wouldn't have been as uh, ultimately, ultimately as successful. Exactly. Without that, you, the, the the whole will never be greater than the sum of its parts. But with it, yes, the word, the word is showed, the word is the word is team. Absolutely. And I always use the word team when I talk. Sometimes uh, together, everyone achieves more, and that that's the same in any walk of life. That, that's fundamental. And uh, lastly, uh, Jeff, looking if if you were to uh, give advice, and whether this is in sport or business or indeed any other walk of life. What would you identify, if you can, as the key tenant uh, that you can't go without in terms of leading a team, no matter what that team is? Single mind and single mind and dedication, dedication to the job. Um, thinking about that 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 role, that job in leadership all the time. It's a huge part of your life. I don't think you can switch off. When you're in, in business at the top level or sport at the top level, 
you may, you know, have a, have a couple of weeks holiday. But I'm even sure if, if these top managers and lead, leaders in all walks of life are away on holiday on a beach somewhere warm, I'm sure there's not, uh, there's, they will not switch off for, for two weeks um, and completely uh, not think about their role as the boss of an organisation. And I think that's, you're completely focused. You're always thinking about uh, things, thinking about improvements, and it's just dedication and uh, uh, tuning your life to being successful. Excellent. Well, Jeff, on that point, thank you very much for joining us today. You're welcome. Very good to, nice to have a talk about this and just go over this, go over the past and just uh, refresh my, mem- my own memory about the quality of the players I grew up with. Excellent. Uh, another time, uh, it would be great to talk again. Thank, thank you, Jonathan. Thank you. This has been the Leaders' Council podcast. Thank you for celebrating excellence in leadership with us. I've been your host, Scott Challoner. Until next time, goodbye. Thank you for listening to our podcast. The views expressed within the podcast do not reflect the views of the Leaders' Council of Great Britain and Northern Ireland, its parent company or subsidiaries, members of staff, or other guests of any other person therein associated.